0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Strategy of Finance podcast, where we celebrate the profession and the professionals in the world of finance. These unsung heroes mostly remain away from limelight, but contribute tremendously towards company building. We endeavor to unpack their journeys to understand what moves them, get inspired by their triumphs, learn from their experiences, and most of all, connect with them at a personal level. I'm your host, Rohit Agarwal, and besides this podcast, my full-time duties include building Creo, the unified operating system for corporate spend. We are bringing together the whole journey of spend so you can buy, pay, and manage all your corporate spends from one single platform. Do check us out at www.krayo.io. Without further ado, let's tune in to learn, grow, and inspire. Today, we are absolutely thrilled to be in conversation with Amit Kumar, an accomplished finance expert who heads the finance center of excellence at Avatar Ventures. As a premier growth stage VC firm, Avatar specializes in nurturing SaaS and B2B startups that are building in India for the globe. Amit isn't just another chartered accountant. He brings to the table a wealth of experience spanning over two decades that he garnered from various multinational corporations and vibrant startups, both within India and beyond. His professional journey has taken him to GE, Oracle, Schweppes, Bosch, and Attune Technologies, a health tech SaaS company backed by Avatar Ventures itself, where he was the CFO. For those of you who didn't know, Amit is also an entrepreneur in his own right. He founded LogiCore, a venture that offered fractional CFO and CFO advisory services to early and growth stage B2B and SaaS startups across India and the ASEAN region. Amit's mastery isn't confined to just one area. He has a knack of setting up and streamlining finance operations, expertly managing cash flows, and creating growth strategies backed by financial KPIs tailor-made for startups. From establishing new offices in multiple countries, to structuring company policies and procedures, to ensuring compliance and even navigating the often tricky terrains of equity and debt financing, M&A, and JV setups in India, Amit has done it all. So buckle up listeners, we are about to deep dive into the world of finance with one of the industry's astute thinkers. Stay tuned for insights and stories from Amit's rich career journey, packed with lessons that could help us navigate our own paths. Hi Amit, welcome to the show. Thanks for making the time and glad to have you here.
1: Hi Rohit, thanks for calling me on this podcast, more than happy
0: awesome so let's start with a little bit of your background tell us amit how did you make your way into this amazing world of finance
1: Okay. To be honest to you, um, I was never inclined towards finance. So what happened was uh, I did my schooling, everything from Patna uh, in Bihar. So when I completed my 10th, I was very much fascinated with uh, computer science and I used to really score good. Means I was like 99 out of 100 or 100 out of 100. That was mm-hmm. my score in computer science. So I went to my dad and told, you know, I want to do something. I built my career in computer science. That time in 1990s, the understanding of computer science was you'll just be a, someone who will be entering something on a desktop and that's your life. The so father, father totally against that. And he, said, <laughs> he said, what will you do with this? You just become an someone like a clerk or something. It's better you do commerce or science. So science, mm. I was not so inclined because I never wanted to be an engineer or a doctor. And I said, okay, let me try commerce. So that's the time I switched in 11th and took up commerce. So post that, uh, once I took commerce, the subjects interested me for sure. And then uh, after that, again, my career was decided by dad. He said, why don't you try CA? I said, okay, I'll go for it. <laughs> <laughs> That time, I don't think we were brought up with the concept that we can Argue with our parents or giving some logics, <laughs> whatever is decided is by them, and we just follow. Sure. So I then I went for my CA. And luckily, when I started my internship, it was super nice for me. I loved it. Very so nice. it was a kind of a practical exposure to companies, how they work, finding out faults, doing that forensic accounting. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really interesting for me. And then once you have an interest in what you're doing, then it's no-brainer. Yeah. So that's why I entered the finance world, and then I qualified as a CA. And so post-becoming a CA. I became a CA in 2002 and before that means just clearing my exams I got a job with HT Media that was my first job actually that time it was known as Hindustan Times now it's known as HT Media so that was my first job and honestly telling me I remember my salary exact salary I used to get 9,750 rupees per month
0: (laughs) (laughs) my first one was also not that far from that and I was so happy with that salary the first salary
1: which came in my hand my god I got 9,000 rupees means it's amazing for me so, so that's where I joined first And I was given the responsibility of getting Something called as ABC Audit hmm. For the print media, it's this audit bureau of circulations Where you certify the number of newspapers They sell on a daily basis Okay, And that helps them in increasing their advertising revenue So that's the whole concept I did that role for a year, but I found that I am not using Any of my skills, what I learned During my articleship, or right. what I studied In CA, so that's the time uh, Bosch Was looking for a person in finance To head Bihar and Jharkhand So that time Bihar had already split into portion of bihar and Jharkhand. so that's where i went for the interview in calcutta and i got selected so that was my first, I would say, a finance role. Got it. There I grew, like in the sense, in six months time, I became the head for East India in terms of finance. I was given additional charge for places like UP and all. Pretty good stint I had with uh, Bosch, actually. So I was with them for two years. After that, I was asked to move to the corporate office, which is in Bangalore. Now, the cost of living in the eastern part of the world of India versus Bangalore <laughs> is quite different. So it somehow did not make financial sense for me. So luckily, what happened was my manager in Bosch and his... His manager. So I was loved by his manager actually. Uh, I remember mm. Mr. Srinivasan. He was the director of finance for Bosch. Right. And I was reporting to another person. So he knew that okay, I won't stay long with Bosch. Based on what things are happening, and I'm a guy who wants career progression. Mm. So he only referred me to Oracle. Okay. He said, "I mean, why don't you look for Oracle, where maybe your career can grow better than what you're having in Bosch?" So then I joined Oracle. I got selected there. So I started with the EMIA FPNA. So that's where I started learning deep FPNA. Actually, in Bosch, I was doing more on commercial finance. Mm. In Oracle, I got the exposure for deep FPNA work. And in three months, I was moved from EMIA to Global Server Technologies for entire Oracle. But telling you the fact. Rohit, it was a very desk job. Like sure. in the sense I'm doing kind of a post-mortem. I'm not doing something which is helping the company for the future or I'm not part of that future. I'm only doing an analysis. So that does not attract me at all. So that time GE Healthcare came up with a new role. So what happened was GE Healthcare was a combined business of equipment and service. So they wanted to split that business into two, two segments, equipment and service. And they wanted to make the service business profitable. Sure. So what happens is when you're selling an equipment of maybe $2 million and along with that you club a service of $20,000. The $20,000 Thousand dollars loses its meaning
0: completely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what they wanted to do was split that business and see how do you make a service business profitable because that's a profit business. The other one is a numbers revenue business, equipment. Sure. Business. So that's where I came in and they said, okay, now we need a guy who can carve this out and work with the GM of that business to bring this business to the level what we expect at the HQ level. Hmm. So I joined G and G. I stayed for five years. So I joined the service business when it was a two million dollar business and the profitability was the lowest in Asia. When I left the business business in, I think, two and a half years. We were a $10 million business, and we were the second highest profitable business in Asia. So touchwood, I was kind of the blue-eyed boy for that. So, I got the mm. best talent award, top talent in Asia, and got good promotions. So post this, I was shifted to the equipment business, the diagnostic imaging business, which is a $300 million business. So right. straight from $10 million, I was shifted to a $300 million business, and an absolutely different business. So mm. there, the deal size would be a minimum 600 k to a million dollars, a minimum, sure. because you are selling big equipment. Yeah. So you need to look at software, Softwares, margins, profitability on a portfolio level. So the concept completely changes. So that way I would say is I have been very lucky that way. Mm -hmm. Starting from a business like HT Media, where I have gone and in the morning, four o'clock to see how the newspapers are distributed, to going to FPNA, managing regions, to going to businesses from two million to ten million in terms of service industry, then going to equipment business, which is like the deals would be 25, but each deal would be like a million or a two million dollar deal. So it gives you the perspective of all businesses. All kind of things which you can do in companies. Absolutely. So that was something which really helped me in learning. So then I moved to Singapore later on in GE itself. And from GE, I moved to Schweppes. Hmm. Schweppes is completely different from healthcare. Sure. And... That's where the learning was even more for me because I was heading the finance business partner section for entire ASEAN, Middle East, Africa, and Australia. Interesting. So that business gave me a couple of things in terms of learning. First of all, how do you look at signing up partners in different regions? So the Mm. concept of bottler versus distributor or a combined concept. What makes more sense? How do you sell your product? Because each product in each market is different. Like if you buy a coke actually in Singapore or India or Vietnam, the taste is different. And there are reasons for it. I never knew it before joining that company. Sure. But then we yeah. learned, okay, this is what is the driving factor here. And that's the reason the cost changes. Now the cost changes, the price in the market also changes. How do you design your bottles? How do you put it in the racks? How do you make it visible? That retail segment concept I learned in Schweppes. I was with them for two years. So I did my stint in Singapore. Then I was in Amsterdam. But after two years, I had to leave the company because it was anyways bought over by Suntory, hmm. which is a Japanese company right now somehow things did not work for me because i did not come from that same japanese background no you don't Sorry. like whiskey uh, so no <laughs> i'm not the guy who likes whiskey actually <laughs> <laughs> it did not somehow work out for me. So I said, okay, let's move on. There's no reason for you to stay and be, you know, a little frustrated on things. Sure. So then I moved into a company in Singapore, Napier Healthcare. It's a very short stint. I had only nine months with them. Mm-hmm. Because they've called me in because they were in great trouble. Yeah. Having problems with a couple of things. So I solved all their issues and then I moved on. So I would say till that time, I was mostly with MNCs or companies who are right. uh, based out of India. Sure. Right. From 2013 onwards, it was my first startup. A real startup and that's where I moved to Chennai from Singapore okay. and I joined Atune Technologies. Hmm. It's quite an honestly an interesting story of how I joined Atune. so let me if you're interested I can tell you that absolutely yeah okay so I came to Bangalore because my parents live in Bangalore and I got a couple of offers from Wipro from Bosch again and then this guy Arvind who was the CEO of uh, and founder of Atune, he called me he got my name and resume through some reference so okay. he called me and he asked me Amit are you interested in the company I said yeah I need to understand what your company is because I have never heard about it. I worked only with MNC till that time. So he explained to me about the company. And the first question I asked him is, "Do you really have a product, or you're just telling me the PPT?" So, so he started laughing. He said, "You are the first guy in the interview who has asked me whether my company has a product or not." I said, "No, I just want to be absolutely clear. I don't want to go to a place where you are still making the product. I don't want to get into that section at all because my past is quite strong from a company standpoint. So I don't want to take that kind of risk." So I was very right. open with it. but somehow I loved that guy when I had a conversation with him. So I said, "Okay, I'll join." Did they have a,
0: have a product at that point yeah, in they time did. or not? They, they did. They okay.
1: So he told me, Amit, why don't you go and meet our investors because they also have a say on this and they." to say an okay to your profile so that's the first time i met mohan who is now the founder of avatar sure. he was that time heading northwest yeah and Norwest was one of the investors for them. That. okay so that's the first time i met mohan in ub city in bangalore mohan is one person who will not give you an
0: impression whether he likes you or not <laughs> Absolutely. So, <laughs> very hard to read his mind and yeah, face. Very
1: hard to read Mohan. So I did not understand whether I'm in or out. Hmm. But one thing he told me was, Amit, I understand your background and everything. Why don't you go and just see the office first hmm. and then decide whether you want to join at you? Okay. So I said, Mohan, I'm not a guy who, you know, will be craving for a big cabin or something. If the work quality is good, I'm more than happy. He said, no, still you go and see because you've come from Singapore. Right. And you've worked with him see, go and see. But I didn't give it more importance. And... I said okay i'll join so i negotiated and blah blah all that stuff mm-hmm. and then i joined at home the first day i went uh, i <laughs> uh, mean we don't have a seat for you <laughs> you need to work this out i said okay so i found a place where we had stacked all those old laptops and everything so i got mm-hmm. a guy cleaned up that room so i myself did the charu actually in that room <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, let's clean this up. Please install an aircon because Chennai is super hot and this room has no ventilation. Huh. Get me an aircon, got a table chair, and that's the way I started in Atune. Wow. But honestly telling you, Rohit, I loved it. I loved it. That kind of exposure very few people get and enjoy, right? So when I joined, honestly, Atune had I was the first finance guy for them. Till that time, okay. the HR guy was handling finance. So you can understand the quality you will have. I had to rewrite the books for the last two years. Wow. Because the concept of double entry was not there, it was only single entry. <laughs> Yeah. So I did all that, but I will say Attune was the best days of my life, actually, in a company. I worked with them for I think from 2013 to 2018. Okay. I think so. Basically had the opportunity to you know rewrite everything for them. In the sense, the financial systems, implementing financial systems, putting down policies, whether it relates to travel, laptop, leave-in cash rent. So HR, finance, admin, everything was under me. Sure. So putting all those policies together. So it was fun for me because honestly, I believe in one very big thing. At the End of the day, you should feel satisfied that you have done something good for the company. Yeah. that poor part is there on each day you come back home. I think that's the job you should do.
0: And it's amazing; it you know resonates a lot with one of my first managers. Mm. He used to say two things that you should achieve in a day: mm. one, whether you have added value to your company or not; two, whether you have added value to yourself. So that resonates quite a lot with his mantras.
1: Yes, absolutely. So see, Arvind was a gem of a guy. I have never met such a good person actually in my life. Mm. I'll be very honest on that. Sure, I have never met. Any person as good as Arvinda. Unfortunately, he passed away because of pancreatic cancer, mm. and he was very young. Yeah, He was not even in his 40s. Right, right. Post that, I stayed with Atune for one, one and a half year because Mohan wanted me to stay there. Sure. And after that, I moved out. So I started doing some consulting work because I had good exposure on startups. Met a lot of startups during my Atune days. Worked with Mohan also on a couple of things. Did in my past experience also. I did uh, JVs, mergers. That experience was there with. Me. I had implemented. Many many uh, systems including sap sage mfg pro so in different companies i went through implementing systems to bring in automation and transparency Mm -hmm. you see because i firmly believe that company should not be people dependent rather it should be system driven Mm. and that you can only bring in by bringing the right tools in the business it may look at as if the cost is high as of now but in the long run that benefits a lot to the company when they try to look at a growth stage for themselves or going into stages where they want to go from private to public these things help a lot because you have a track record for it. building a track record on excel sheets is not an easy task yeah so it's better to have systems in place to do that work so then i started doing my consulting and help started looking at companies only at the startup level where they are stuck at certain points either they are stuck in terms of how do i grow my business or what it should be my gtm strategy there to enter the market or i'm able to do that portion but i'm not able to bring my ebitda to a positive level or reduce my losses sure so that's two areas where i came in because one was completely operational in finance so look at the teams look at the size look at the benchmark against that and see how we can do better on that the second portion is going on the revenue side where maybe you have to tweak your model Mm. maybe you have to look at the concept okay what is your pricing what is the logic of pricing why are you giving so many discounts to the customers so basically at certain places you may need to give discounts but at certain places when you discount more the value of the product goes down there is no respect for the product because i always believe if you give something free it has no meaning for the customer because he anyways does not value the Go on into that product. If there is a charge for it, there is a value for it. So, all these things I started doing. I was shuffling between India and Singapore quite okay. a lot and other ASEAN regions, even Dubai. I did my stint in Dubai also in Etune, actually. Mm. So, so, that exposure was there for Middle East and African market. But because of COVID, the travel thing could not be done so frequently because, you know, Singapore and India had restrictions. You cannot get the flights. And you, I was stuck there, actually, okay. because yeah. return flights were not there because the One Day Bharat started. Sure. And I would be the least parity because when you fill up the One Day Bharat form, the first question they ask is which of the last five countries you have traveled. So imagine, <laughs> I'll mention US, Dubai, Indonesia, Vietnam. Now think why will pass guy give me the first priority? Yeah. It's a very highly chance of a COVID guy coming in. Sure. Right? So I did not get that opportunity. I was stuck there. So anyways, keeping that aside, so finally I moved back to India. That's the time I joined Avatar. Last year in November. Very so cool. I came back from Singapore in September last year. And post that I joined Avatar. So Mohan had an opportunity. So there were a couple of roles and I think this was the role which interested me. Then I joined in Avatar. Of
0: you. Very cool. Can you explain a little more about this whole concept of finance center of excellence within a growth equity fund? Sounds rather novel. Mm-hmm. Either you have operational roles in large private equity houses, right? Or you know, I would say a little more service oriented operational roles like for recruitment or early stage maybe CFO advisory in few early stage VC funds, right? Mm-hmm. Now Avatar being in between the two and mm-hmm. having this kind of a center of excellence excellence is quite a novel thought. So can you share a little more around the thought process behind it and what exactly does your role entail here? Sure.
1: Okay. See, based on my initial discussions with Mohan and Nishan, why this finance COE has been formed is for a couple of reasons see as you rightly said avatar is in the middle like it doesn't invest into very early stage startup. right it is it invests at a level where business has already established a product market fit i would say correct and they have started generating good amount of revenue for that Yep. now coming to that point ideally the company should have a very strong finance department a very strong cfo everything should be there right mm-hmm. but that's not the reality yeah right i would not say that the portfolio companies of avatar or for that matter any company which is at that stage does not have a good cfo i'm not saying that but i would say is there is still something which can be given by avatar in terms of advisory or some kind of learning experience what we have sure. so what happens is see Avatar is the operating part so we really get deep into businesses and try to understand or help the business out in terms of looking at how do you grow your business first of all right so take a scenario where the company is already doing like a 10 or 15 million dollar business that does not give you a justification that the company will grow from 10 to 15 to 30 million yeah because you may have to tweak your strategies you may have to look at different markets so that's where avatar comes in and says you know we feel this is the way you should operate the business or expand in this region based on your plans we understand with the founders and that's where finance coe also comes into picture to look at whether this business will be profitable or hmm. the second thing is looking at inorganic growth for that matter inorganic growth there are a couple of reasons you do acquisitions right one of the reasons see i understand the reason of synergy and everything that everyone knows right sure but one of the other reasons is also to look at how the merged business makes the business more profitable or more valuable yeah That's where the finance CEO would come into picture and help the people out as to, okay, this makes sense or this does not make sense, right? Then come situations for IPO readiness See hmm. avatar comes at a stage where the exit either would be at a bigger level is a merger or an acquisition or an IPO Sure Most of the cases we feel IPO would be a scenario Right, right Now right. for that readiness most of the places the CFOs or the finance department are not yet ready for it or understand what they should do from a financial perspective as to the books are clean they are all compliant they have all the track records which can be verified by anyone who is investing in the company So those kind of things are where avatar's finance COA would come into picture and help them out so see what I look at finance CEO is collaboration I would say not someone who is sitting over the portfolio company and saying that I know this is to be done and I don't right. even the concept because I have been on the other side of the sure. team also I have been the CFO for startups so I know how CFOs take it right. right so my point is let's try to work out a solution where it benefits you as the CFO of the startup and it gives you much more predictability and visibility on mm-hmm. the other side you also help your investors to understand where the gaps are are How do we cover that? What's the vision of the company, and where can I look at my, for example, exit for the? Sure. So it's a very, very balanced approach which has to be taken, and I feel the finance COE should be able to do that.
0: Very cool. Uh, I certainly can attest, you know, with my time as the CFO of a startup that any kind of help that you can get from investors, from consultants, investment bankers, it's it's quite underrated. There is a lot of value in getting this kind of an attention, this kind of an advice, because as a CFO, you are so deep into operations of your company that many a times you may not lift your head up and think about things that are happening around you and these kind of advisors these you know this kind of a uh, center of uh, excellence can really bring in those perspectives and tell you that hey these are the things that are going on across the board in other companies and you may be able to be benefit by sort of sharing this best practices knowledge
1: absolutely absolutely
0: right. very cool so let's move on certainly i think over the last 20 years of your career you have worked across multiple different organizations both Large and small. Tell us a little about how do you today think about the role of the modern CFO and how has that evolved over your professional career?
1: Okay. Looking at the last twenty years, when I joined finance, it basically was not finance; it was accounting. So CFO or a finance manager or whatever you call senior manager finance or a VP, people used to associate them with accounting. So to me, accounting, finance, and a CFO are three different things. It's not one. Right. Over the last twenty years, I think more. Most of the companies have understood that okay, finance means much more than accounting. Actually, accounting is only a subset of the entire thing. What finance department can do, and a CFO is a guy who basically runs the show for them as far as finance and operations are concerned. Mm. So he is not a guy who has to look at the numbers. What do we say? The performance of the company after the performance has happened. He is a guy who has to also tell you that you know you are getting into this risk. The way the business is functioning, I think we can achieve these kind of numbers. Now, if the CEO and the sales team comes back and says, okay, I will do $5 million worth of business this year. The CFO is the guy who brings in more visibility into that in terms of a surety of that $5 million. And he also builds you a risk plan on that saying that, okay, my understanding says you will not do more than $3 million. If you go by this, go to market strategy or strategy what you have to achieve these numbers. Now, at a $3 million business, this is what will happen to your operating expenses and cash flow. So we need to bake in this much of more money into the business. Let us discuss on how do we bring this money into the business. So that's the role of a CFO. And I think the modern CFO has achieved that. Hmm. You may have anomalies here and there, but right. overall, I feel the CFOs have achieved that, that the CEO understands the CFO is not a finance accounting guy. He is the guy who is basically my eyes and ears and helps me to understand why, where am I going wrong or is there a chance for me to go wrong or where am I doing really great? He is the one who tells me that. The second sure. portion I feel from a modern CFO versus earlier times was compliance is something which has come really in a big way in all the companies, looking at the kind of, you know. Know, scams or issues we have faced in the world. With bigger companies Right The modern CFO's role Even becomes much more important To ensure That the company is compliant In all aspects Now I know like When I started my career Or three years Four years Down the line If you look at the business guys They would ideally Not come to the CFO And talk about everything Because the understanding was Oh I tell this guy He will first of all say no And he will not even Allow me to do that work Right (laughs) Saying no is one He will not even allow me To do that work also So I'll just not tell him Let it come on its own to him Let him figure out What has to be done Hmm. That's the approach Which was taken earlier But now I would say Is the things have changed a lot I would not say 100% But it's way better than what it was I would say 10 years back People have understood That okay If I don't go and tell him now I am basically getting the company Into a bigger problem So it's better for me to discuss with him And find a solution together So I would say a good CFO Versus a non-CFO That's the difference Saying no is very easy, Rohit. Yeah. Anyone can say that. But giving a solution against that problem is what I think the modern CFO does and should do. You may not be able to solve all the problems if someone is saying, okay, my plan is to basically stab this guy and I'll get business. So Ideally, the CFO will say, no, you can't do that. And I won't give you a solution also for that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but if it can be worked out within the legal framework and it's compliant, CFO should look at solutions for the team. Because once you start giving solutions, you are part of the team. You are not treated someone outside the team. Otherwise, you will always be treated as a person who is not part of the whole business. He is someone who is sitting on my head and trying to control things. That's not the way the CFO role should be looked at. So I think the modern CFOs have understood it and are doing pretty well. The other thing I would also highlight is automation. Now, if you look at it from that perspective, 10 years back, honestly, there was not much. means I'm not talking about international markets, but I'm talking basically about India because India is the growth market today. right? Right. So automations is something which I think CFOs have understood quite well that it is needed in the company and they try to bring in that portion as much as possible for the company because that helps in multiple factors it helps you to be more compliant and not break your head as to oh, okay this is done or not done right transparency and visibility is there and i do believe in the three i principle what i learned in g that the person who does the transaction passes the transaction approves the transaction they all should be different so system helps you to drive that it yeah. is not something where you know happens that one person is the sole authority to do up everything and tomorrow any problem happens the guy is the one who is is to be blamed for everything. The three I principle helps you to avoid also situations, and that can only be done when you have proper systems in place. So I think the modern CFO has started doing that as well. So I would say it's a big change from today's CFO versus what you would have seen five, ten years back. Both because the CFOs have also learned a lot. Sure. The second thing is the mindset towards finance department has also changed a lot, right? Based on what all has happened in the world in terms of numbers and everything.
0: I think it makes a lot of sense and kind of aligns with how we think about now the changing meaning of the acronym CFO. It's more around being a chief future officer, where you are really guiding the company towards a better, brighter future, along with providing the right kind of risk assessments to the CEO and the rest of the management team and board that within this framework is what we need to achieve. And now these are the ways where perhaps we can achieve it in the most efficient and effective manner. Yeah, agree. Absolutely. Very cool. Of course, you know, COVID-19 has been one of those events that really impacted literally every single, you know, living person on this earth. How has that impacted the role of the modern CFO in terms of whether it's automation, whether in terms of how do they operate or interact with their teams? What has been the change in finance functions that has been impacted by COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Okay. See, COVID-19, honestly, I feel it was a mixed bag for companies. Some of them really could not take it, so mm. could not survive. Some of them really did well during COVID. Sure. Right. Now, who did well was the companies who were more on the online business, right? Right. I think COVID helped to understand a few things. You can do everything online. The second thing is geography does not matter at all. Hmm. You can still do your work sitting in a flight or sitting in Seattle versus sitting in your office in India. You can do your work from anywhere. Sure. I think the third thing which COVID brought in was the dependency on IT and automation. If you don't have it, you will be into problem whether it is COVID or not. COVID basically highlighted that for you. Yeah. It was something which was there always, but COVID brought this into the foray that, okay, now you can't go away with it or do away with it. So, I feel from a finance department, what changes I saw was number one finance department does not need to sit in the same office to work you can work from your home and still deliver right and you cannot bluff the company yeah. you cannot bluff the company by saying that i'm working from home there are ways to manage that but what it helps is look at it from a people's perspective it's very convenient for them i mean i travel to bangalore quite a lot right i am based in chennai but i can yeah. travel, and you know the bangalore traffic right sure honestly i hate it <laughs> three hours in a day i spend in a cab if i can save that by working from home i am going to bring in three hours of additional productivity or right. my work, whatever I'm doing will be better because I don't have that hassle of facing the traffic, which is a good thing. So that's one thing which COVID brought in and companies were very happy with it. Because I, mean, I do see some changes now, like companies are telling their employees to come to the office. Yeah. But honestly, I don't believe in that much, Rohit, till the time you're getting your work delivered. Sure. If you see a gap in that, yeah, there may be other methods to manage that. Yeah. But uh, I feel this should not be a restriction for people. The second thing I would say from a CFO perspective is the CFOs and the CEOs learned the importance of cash hmm, sure. I'm talking more From a startup perspective yeah. Because that period Raising funds Was a real Real challenge Absolutely. It's not easy Because all the businesses Are going down You don't have a visibility To your revenue Growth So why would a new investor Come and put in money Because revenue visibility Is not there Product may be good You have a presence In the market And everything is there But he wants to see EBITDA and revenue as well yeah. Which is a problem During COVID So whoever had the cash CFO's job was To go frugal And try to see How much can he stretch that cash? Right. Whoever stretched it has survived that phase and are doing well. Whoever did not do that, they are the ones who got axed. That's the way I feel in the CFO, priority was manage cash. Stretch it to the best extent possible. The third thing I feel from a CFO perspective was look at I would say the future of the business. Like how would you see your numbers growing? Because you know what are the bottlenecks you have because of COVID, right? Because your sales team cannot travel, you have to do most of your calls online with the customers, the customers may not be in the office because their offices are shut down for the time being. So, all those kind of problems we were facing as a company. So I think the CFO's role was to sit with the sales team, the CEO, the ops team, and see what is the best we can do to sustain our business even if it's not growing. So that's why SaaS companies did quite well, because yeah. they could sustain their customers, even if you're not growing. Right. But at least they could sustain their customers. The other thing I feel they looked at was how to manage the cost on that perspective. Like if you're sustaining, do I need to have these many people in the team to do this work? See, I'm being a little practical. Mm-hmm. Being a CFO does not mean CFOs don't have emotions. They do have as well. Yeah. But the thing is, they have to look at the company as a whole, not look at individuals. So when I am given a choice, I go with the concept, can I save the company? And if I can save the company, by cutting down some cost for the company, honestly, I will go ahead with yep. it. Because if you have a 500 team map size, it's 500 families. Either I let go 500 families or I let go a few of them to save the balance. So yep. I always go with the second option when people will feel that, okay, this guy is brutal, but I'm not brutal that way. I am emotional also, but CFOs have to take tough decisions and they have to convince the CEO to take that tough decision because For founders, the company is their baby. Absolutely. It's not easy to let go people who have been with them right from the very beginning. It's not easy. So that convincing should be done by CFOs and they did also during COVID time. So I feel overall in the COVID times, that was the role I would say the CFOs should have done or did, as well as the companies also changed their way, approach to the team as well as business.
0: Makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of automation and business sense and human element that came into for for the CFO, which perhaps is not that high across the board. In normal times let's dig down a little more on the i.t automation side as you said you have deployed multiple solutions over the years uh, during your tenure as the finance operator and now i'm sure you see across the avatar portfolio multiple different finance operations and kind of advise them on their automation journey do you have some kind of a framework or the way you look at a company stage and recommend that perhaps this is the time for you to do X, this is the time for you to now do Y, just given the evolution of the finance department, along with the evolution of the company itself, especially in terms of if they are looking to, you know, get into the IPO readiness as one of the sort of key advisory that you mentioned, you know, that is coming out of the center of excellence. So how do you think about the overall framework of what should a finance department or a CFO do from their IT automation? standpoint? To be
1: honest with this question, there's no straight answer for this story, honestly. Hmm. That's the way I look at it because companies are at various stages and the companies which would be at the same stage may need a different level of automation because it also depends upon the nature of business the company has. Like I'll just give you an example. If you look at from a framework perspective, yeah, there is one way you can say is, okay, if the company has gone to this much of revenue, it has a team size of this much and everything, we should bring in this. Honestly, I don't believe that concept because you may have companies which are a much, much smaller revenue, but they may need automation earlier because sure. of the complexity in the business.
0: Yeah, tell me about it. Very that.
1: simple example <laughs> <I> I'll give you.
0: <laughs> I've lived through that pain.
1: <laughs> so the way I look at finance is I would combine finance, IT, and HR together because these mm. are the areas where you need automation a lot. As far as engineering and everything is concerned, they always have tools. Sure. There's no one. They will they'll will be the first guys to look at automation because they want it, right? Yeah. Yeah. PC departments don't need it or want it. We have to bring it in, right? So let's take HR for example. Now if you are a company which is a people company spread across different places, you may not need a tool to operate that. But the problem you will have still with the 40-50 people is when you start getting queries from them, when you have your IT uh, declarations to be submitted, proofs to be submitted. So would you go with the concept of having a three-member HR team to handle 50 people or a one-person HR team with a software? I would go for the second one because that is a scalable model. That 50 people, even if it goes to 150, I can continue with that system. Probably I'll just hire one more guy. But the process is automated. There is no Leakage. There is no issue for the employee to apply for lease or anything. So I feel automation, even if it is a 50 member team should be there. There should be a payroll system for that and an HR sure. system, I would say, right? Yeah. Yeah. I may not bring in KPIs and all that stuff to be measured in that system, not needed, but I would bring in a subset of that HR system, even if it is a 50 member, right? Let's look at finance now. Hmm. Now, if the company's volume is very small. So I would measure it by the number of entries it has right. on a monthly basis and the complications it has in terms of its business model. Now take a company which is a complete brick and mortar company. Right. Maybe having 100 entries in a month may not need a fully automated system. They can just survive on a standalone system like Tally also. on sure. Tally is also on cloud now. So I'm not demeaning Tally actually. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what I'm saying is it's not a very robust system in terms of MIS reporting. Yeah. It's a very good system from an accounting perspective. So you can still do your accounting in a software like Tally and do your MIS reports on Excel sheet. Now, same thing you look at from a SaaS company's perspective. Right, the SaaS company would have a lot of concept on ACV, TCV, CAG. LTV, 10,000 KPIs are there. (laughs) Right. The question comes to you is Do you want to run all this in an Excel sheet every month? And when you do that, one thing I can guarantee you, there is no standardization after that. Right. Because the guy decides, Oh, my CAC is looking not good. Why don't I remove this cost? And I will have a logic for it. Yeah. (laughs) My CAC will be better. Right. So I'm not saying that the guy is uh, giving false information. It's his understanding that that's the way he's looking at the numbers. Right. Correct. Now, if you bring in a system for it, so basically what you need is a system which tracks your contracts and gives you a month-wise recognition and that flows into your system, that problem is solved for you. You don't need to have two people working on TCVs and ACVs. The system will do it for you. You just need one guy to make the right entries into the system. Yeah, garbage in, garbage out concept is still there.
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: If you put the right data, system will do the work for you. So honestly, in both the cases, if you see the business volume or the revenue has no meaning. Automation is needed honestly to me at every level. You decide what level of automation you need. Right. That's the way it should be looked at. So my feel is uh, don't go by the concept of What should be the framework For a guy To when to bring in automation Should bring in automation As early as possible Definitely look at The cost for it Because if you find it Okay I have to spend Like $50,000 on it When I'm struggling In the company As a business I would say yeah Don't bring in That kind of system Decide the right time To bring a system But always go for a system The timing is Honestly telling you It has nothing to do With which stage Of business you are It really depends Upon where you see It makes sense For you as a business The good CFO Will always take that call as to okay now is the time to bring in a system for this company because I am losing visibility I am not able to give to the management the future vision of this company because I lack on these systems that's where you bring in things in the company that's the way I would believe on that road it means I would it's very difficult for me to give you a framework to when you should do this.
0: But I love your point in terms of visibility. Not many people harp on the fact that having clear visibility in real time across your data is quite important. So it makes a lot of sense. Two things I would Mm. like to double click on here. Number one, it's not that easy because again, finance departments are still in some ways considered as cost centers, right? It may not be that easy to convince a ceo or rest of the constituents to invest in financial technologies right at a certain point in time how in your experience have you gotten through that hurdle of convincing your ceo or board to be able to invest in these kind of technologies at any stage of the company's evolution depending on you know whatever technology or automation made sense at that point in time okay
1: i think to convince anyone to bring in some systems especially in the finance side of the company. I think the factor to be looked at is how does it help you run your business better and how does it help you to look at your future better. If you are going to convince a board and a CEO that, okay, I'll give you a better post-mortem job, that software will never sell. your concept will never go through. If you can bring in a visibility for the CEO and the board and even investors for that matter, that, you know, with this system in place, you will get a couple of things. One is transparency from finance. So everyone can look at the numbers as and when they want to see that. Second thing is it will reduce your dependency on us in terms of looking at the information and expecting that information in five minutes, which is not possible if you're running on Excel sheets. Yeah. The third thing is giving you visibility in terms of how is your business trending, for example, if you go with what you're doing today. I'll give you a very simple example: IPL. In the last five hours, they will give you okay, with the current run rate, you will land here. With a better <laughs> run rate, you will land there. Right? And then you get to the actuals. Right. Similar so concept is in business also. Only a system can tell you that okay with your current run rate where will you land? With a churn of 5% where will you land? And with a growth of 10% where will you land? I can do it on Excel also. It's very subjective. System helps you to do it over and over again with different simulations. You can't build 10 or 15 simulation on Excel at a go. System can do that for you. If the CEO and the board understands it, I don't think you will ever face an issue in implementing a system. The only issue you may face is okay what is the cost for it right? And what is the benefit I'm getting? Benefit is understood. Now cost for it is something which is very subjective. Some CEOs Say, okay, I don't think even a ten thousand dollar spending over a year is good. Right. That's a different scenario altogether. That means you don't believe in automation. Yeah, right? you can't convince that guy. But if someone believes I don't think cost will be a big matter for them, that is one. Second thing is also look at it from the perspective of cost reduction using a system. Sure. See, to me, what happens? You, as a IT company, for example, a product IT company will have maybe 30-40 vendors so giving them different products on a renewal basis. Yeah. Right. And at the end of the year, you will look at your Excel's contracts, everything and say, okay, I need to negotiate with this guy. What if you have a system which drives that for you and tells you, okay, this contract is coming for renewal and you have this much of cost to be incurred over next two months. You know, okay, I can negotiate on these things and get into negotiation with them and reduce the cost. So you will already have, okay, my total spend is going to be half a million. I am targeting to spend 10% less and then see how do you negotiate that a system can give you. Excel cannot give you, you will have leakage here. I can tell you that. Right. I've done that. So I know leakage is very obvious. No one can say I have no leakage running on outside a system. System, right. So that gives you cost benefit. So ideally, if in some places I have proved that, okay, I'm going to spend $30,000 on a SAP B1, for example, and I will recover $20,000 in the first year itself for that. Right. And probably next year, I'll uncover more. And that comes in with these kind of concepts being given, helping the company also to not lose money at places where they are losing in terms of business. So that kind of granularity only a system can give. Like, for example, take sales teams' travel costs. How do you right. track it on a month-to-month basis with the flow and everything? You will do so many excels, then CFO will only be doing Excel or will have an FP and a team of 10 people. Right. right? System can do it in two minutes. You just need to pull in the right data into a report, which is a five-minute job. Yeah. So I feel convincing the board or the CEO is not a challenge till the time you can show future things about it, transparencies, compliance, visibility, all these factors into it, plus savings on cost based on the data you get from the system. So I think honestly, it's easy task to me to convince someone to take in a system.
0: Makes sense. Then the second question that I wanted to ask around it is, how do you think about bringing in an automation within a company? Is it something to solve an issue perhaps or a set of issues that the company is facing right now and that automation can solve that right away? Or you also keep in mind two years, three years, five years down the line, what potential scale a company might achieve and what might potentially be the issues that might crop up at that point in time and solve for that right with the automation that you are bringing in or could potentially bring in at this point in time. So it's a matter of, you know, for how long or what scale do you solve or do you bring in an automation at this point in time? Understood.
1: Okay. See, this I would say based on my experience and the way I have operated on that. So it's a mixed game, actually. It's the pitch Mm -hmm. what you do. It's simple. What pitch you want to put. To get things approved. (laughs) So see the first most important thing I would say for bringing in automation is to state the problems currently in the company which can be solved by automation. So now take automation as 100% right and a software is 100% coming with different modules and all that stuff. So the current thing what I would do is I know what are the problems faced in the company and which I can solve through automation and that covers 40% of that 100%. So I would go and pitch okay these problems are being solved by taking 40% of this product and these problems are solved. So I've covered all that stuff What the company and this has to be solved. It cannot be solved without automation. First tick box done. Check checklist is done. Second portion is what's the potential of this automation? So potential is quite clear to me. The question is will the company ever reach that potential to be implemented? Right. Right. So that's something which is a discussion between the CFO and the CEO to understand four years, five years down the line, how are we looking at the business and the belief The CFO has that how much is guaranteed from that. So, for example, I have my own benchmark for sales guys. So, when they say I'll do 100 million, I'll have my own number in my mind. Right. Right. Similarly, I'll have benchmarks for everyone. That's the job of a CFO. I cannot be super aggressive and accept that number and say, wow, I'm doing 100 million. And I'll go everywhere to the investor and say, I'm doing 100 million. I won't do that. Right. So, I'll go with that concept and see, okay, if someone is showing this is my vision and this is the way I want to do it, I would definitely identify what are the risk elements in this and what kind of things I need from a business standpoint or financial standpoint point in terms of automating some things or bringing in new things into the business or hiring everything has to be looked into from that perspective. So that would be my second pitch to the approvers to say that okay you know I bring in the system now which is going to cover 40% cost system and will cover all these problems for me. Now as we grow the business these are the things which we will face. Now since we are used to this system for the last one, one and a half, two years I don't need to start afresh on that and we can just keep on adding things to it and make it more like a total ERP solution just to give a very simple way of looking at it for you right so you got used to it we have trained our team on that and slowly we are adding modules or add-on features to it that's the approach i will take. that's the reason in our previous question i was very clear that automation has no stage or hmm. systems have no stage you bring them in when you need them and i feel every company is at every stage how you scale it how much you take is dependent upon the business at that time or the complexities you're facing at that time
0: very cool makes a ton of sense So let's uh, now move into a hypothetical where let's assume that I just became the CFO of an avatar venture portfolio company. What would be your advice to me in terms of number A, the current environment and sort of surviving and thriving in the current environment, whether if you look at it from sort of funding winter perspective, whether you look at it from a cash management standpoint, whether you look at it from a risk management standpoint and then point b is kind of working with the investors so let's start with the current environment first and then we'll move on to working with the investors
1: okay someone if you're going in as a cfo or avatar portfolio companies the first advice i'll give you please sit with the ceo and the founder Mm -hmm. and understand from him what is he looking at from the cfo right what is his expectation from the cfo because he is the guy who has started this business So he knows this business in and out and is the guy, no one can know business better than him for his business. Right. So understand from him, what is his requirement? Every company will have a different expectation. Every CEO will have a different expectation. From a CFO standpoint, I would say as an avatar portfolio company, couple of things we definitely look at. One is proactiveness in the CFO towards the business, not telling guys, we did not achieve this. Basically, you need to know we are not going to achieve this. And what are the reasons behind it and have a discussion with the CEO. So you are partnering the CEO, not being a guy who is analyzing and telling "Oh, boss, you have not done this, he knows that he has not done it. Yeah. Right. That is one. Second is management of cash. It's very critical in today's scenario because, you know, the markets are very volatile. We already got two good news. <laughs> <Swiss and SVB. laughs> so, so cash management is very critical because you may not be in a situation to raise more funds for the next one year for that company. People would be investing in companies. It's not going to stop. Right. But you never know what's the valuation you will get yeah because everything was hype now everything is coming to reality so you would not like to raise money when you're down you like to raise money when you're up right right so be cash efficient don't waste money don't splurge money just because you're sitting on a big pile of cash the third thing i would say is look at the teams what you have so i don't believe in the concept that a new cfo comes and then he brings in own people and the old people are gone yeah Some of them do that. I don't like that concept because the guys who are in that company have known that business in and out. So they can be your eyes and ears and make you understand, okay, these are the things which are working good in the company. These are the things which are not working good in the company. So I would say clean up the team. Don't remove the team. Cleanups everywhere are needed. And that's your judgment to do because right. only thing I would say is don't delay. Because the more you delay things, the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It never gets smaller. So take calls on your team, sit with the CEO, understand his vision and plan your work accordingly with him. Because all said and done, you and the CEO are together in the business. You are not the investigator or anything for the business. You both are together in the business. Right. Manage your cash very well. One point, I'm mean, maybe it comes from an investor point of view, but yes, transparency and standardization is something every investor looks at. Transparency, in the sense that provide right data at the right time and take investors as your friend. They will only help you. They will not be the guy, oh, you have done this, you're sacked tomorrow. It doesn't happen (laughs) like that. investors (laughs) you tell them what's the situation they will always come to you with the solution for it because they have seen more companies they will always tell you okay let's do try to do it this way they are not going to force you to do anything it's all your call right no harm in taking advice from others we are not even investors are not masters of everything right so sure that's the way i would look at it right
0: very cool Very, very informative. Let's maybe touch upon, as you talked about the cash management piece, a related kind of item there is also to be ready for funding. Is there a certain kind of framework or advice that you have for CFOs to be funding ready? Because many times these processes could just elongate for months. And yes. that takes a lot of toll on the CFO and the finance teams per se, but then also the momentum that is needed to really close some of these things may also get lost. So what are your advice for for the CFOs to be funding ready and really kind of you know hit the nail on the head when the time is right. Sure.
1: Okay. See, I am going to answer this specifically from a finance perspective. Yeah. Because from a business perspective, there are a lot of other elements as well, right? Sure. But from a finance perspective, I think the CFO should understand. See when an investment is going to happen or there is a party which is interested to invest, the kind of questions or the kind of data they ask is actually very business related. Yeah. So if you're running a good business or a business as such, you should have this data readily available. Otherwise you're not running a good business. Like, for example, see, we have a data room, right? For every investment, a data room has to be created. So what would standard data room have? Your audited financials, your projections for the next three years or five years. What you have done from a management perspective or MIS report perspective for the last two years. So statutory report is different and MIS report is different. MIS gives you a depth on your operational business. Statutory is statutory. No issues on that, right? So those kind of information is anyways you're going should be doing every year. So there is nothing to be prepared separately for it, right? Then comes the question of your cap tables, bigger contracts, if you're a SaaS company, how are you rolling up on your TCVs, ACVs, what's your ARR, MRR, what's your CAC, what's your LTV, how do you measure your sales team, like for example, or implementation. When you have a product and you're implementing it, ideally if I'm a CFO, what I will do is I will try to understand the cost I spent on implementation versus what revenue I generated. Now, there may be a situation the revenue I got versus the cost, I lost two months of my SaaS revenue. Typical way of looking at SaaS companies, right? Yeah. So, you should have that number ready because that's the discussion you will have with your CEO also. That when we are doing a deal, basically, first three months or two months of revenue is going into implementation cost itself. Post that only I'm making money because my product is anyways a sunk cost. Yeah. So, the only cost I'm having is on the server side or customer support side, right? So, those kind of data should be ready because that's the kind of data the investor would want to know. He would like to know unit economics, right? So, he does not invent questions for you, honestly. He basically asks questions which you should be doing anyways in a good business. So that kind of data should form part of your repository over the last two years, at least. If you can do that, honestly, your data room will not take much time. It'll take like one day. The only thing what you have to do is give him the link and say, these are the information available. Besides that, if you need any other information we can share with you, we need some time for that. So the process gets much faster. The most of the time the problem faced is this portion of report is, I would say it is not done in a good way. Mm. So you start reworking on that data and then you bring your entire Finance team to work day and night to work that data. The other thing I would suggest is if you have a good system in place, you don't need to spend so much time on this. Yeah, you'll get your <laughs> data immediately and be transparent on that. What's a fact is a fact because in your diligence things will come out. So there's Absolutely. no sense of uh, masking information, just provide whatever is there. Yeah, some, some things you are yeah, discussed with your CEO and decide, but I would say is systems will help you a lot in driving this. So having a good system saves you a lot of time and effort in doing things which are repetitive jobs, I would
0: say. Yeah, yeah. All you perhaps need to do is provide 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 context around the numbers rather than really massage the numbers. Yes, absolutely. All right. Makes a lot of sense. Samit, it's, uh, of course, quite apparent that what you're doing, you know, whether kind of really managing the COE and working with all of the Aftar portfolio companies, whether doing the travel between Chennai and Bangalore, it all seems to be quite demanding and challenging, you know, both physically and mentally. Curious to know what motivates you to keep going?
1: Okay. See, my motivation is very simple, Rohit. Till the time I feel that this job gives me satisfaction at the end of day in the sense that I have done something good for that portfolio company and I am being of some value for them I will continue with it other things honestly do not disturb me at all but this factor disturbs me a lot if I'm not satisfied with the profile so if I'm not satisfied in the way I'm operating or I'm being told to operate or the portfolio company does not see any value in me then I would say okay then it doesn't make sense for me to work on this because I'm not bringing anything good For
0: anyone. Right. That's my
1: core and soul on any job which I take up.
0: Very cool. Where are you focusing your energies in 2023? What are perhaps maybe the top three priorities from your perspective, from the COE perspective?
1: Okay, 2023 is the year where I'm focusing on standardization of the data which comes from the portfolio company. So I do understand from various people that this is not something which is easy to do. Yeah. But honestly, if it's easy to do, then I would not be taking up that assignment. (laughs) (laughs) So that is one thing, which is MIS standardization. Second thing is couple of companies are getting IPO ready. So I need to sit with them and understand what are the documents they have and everything. So that's one thing, second thing, which I'm focusing on. Not all companies are getting into IPO readiness, but some of them are. So that's my second area. The third thing is CFO advisory. So basically sitting with some companies, we have started investing in other businesses as well, B2B, so which is a different ballgame altogether. And B2B business cannot be understood sitting at your desk. You need Hmm. to really sit with the team, understand it, how the GMV gets done on the retail margins and blah, blah, all that stuff. So that's where I want to bring in some insights from my side for them to look at Becoming at least EBITDA neutral. B2B business is not easy to be EBITDA positive. Honestly, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Sure. I can at least provide them my two cents based on my experience with B2B business in terms of how do we look at it operationally. Revenue growth is their thing. I would not interfere into that. But operational excellence, financial efficiency is something I would focus on these businesses.
0: Very cool. Last question before we move into the lightning round. What would be your advice for emerging professionals in finance who aspire to be leaders, whether it's CFOs or heads of finance or you know, taking up other leadership role in large companies, finance departments.
1: Okay. First thing I would say is learning never stops. Please don't assume that you know everything. Right. So that is very, very critical at any stage. Because my experience has been honestly Roy, that uh, wherever I have gone, there is something new I have learned. Yeah. A lot of new things I have learned because these are businesses which are very different, and every business operates in a different way. So a good leader is a guy who puts all these things together and uses that knowledge to help the other person. If you can do that, you're a very good leader. Second thing is. See, I'll tell you my experience on that. When I started my finance career, I was a dead arrogant guy. Very arrogant. Mm. So, if I don't like something, means I'm still quite blunt, but I have mellowed down quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So, during those times, I was like, if I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. I don't care who you are. I've even done that with the CEOs also. Right. But I slowly learned that you don't make friends like that. And you don't, Get respect based on that. Respect comes when you work with people, even tough people. Right. Right. So I think anyone who wants to become a leader in the finance area, even most of the guys will be non-finance guys whom with you will work. Yeah. Be friends with them. Don't be friends on non-compliant matters, but be friends with them in terms of helping them. They should come to you to seek help. Yeah. They should not look at you. Okay, I don't want to go to this guy because this guy will only create problems for me, further problems. Don't get into that. If you can do that, manage a relationship, then you will be a good leader learn as much as possible, help people as much as possible, and try to be friendly and supportive to your non-finance guys, I think you will be definitely a very good leader. No doubt
0: about it. Very cool. I think with that, let's move into a lightning round. should be fun. going to be pretty simple. I'm going to ask you some quick questions and all I need is basically immediate responses from you. Oh, okay. All right. So let's start. I mean, sweet or savory? Savory. Books or podcasts? Books. Thinker or doer? Thinker. Movies or web series? Web series. LinkedIn or Twitter? None of them. Ah, what's what's your social media platform? Zero. Okay. Scotch or vodka? Vodka. Money or happiness? Happiness. Introvert or extrovert? I would say introvert. Okay. Growth or profitability? Profitability. Cricket or soccer? Cricket. What is your one hidden talent? I do play golf. All right. I'm very fond of it. Very cool. Ideal place to retire? Bali. Very cool. Number one on your bucket list right now. In terms of? In terms of things that you want to do right now.
1: Wow. Basically, be successful in my current role at Proof myself in my current role.
0: Okay. Any role model or inspirational figure that you think about or look up to, whether on the personal side or professional side?
1: I have a lot of admiration for Arvind, as I said earlier. Right. He has been one of my mentors. So two people are there in my life professionally whom I really value a lot. One is Arvind and second is Mohan. They have really guided me in a lot of stuff. And what I am professionally is their help a lot from that perspective.
0: All right. And the last one, describe yourself in three words.
1: Straightforward, blunt,
0: helpful guy. All right. Very cool. Amit, this has been a great show. Thanks for taking the time and uh, really lovely speaking with you and really learning from all of your experiences. So thanks a lot.
1: Thank you so much, Rohit, for inviting me to this forum. It was a very good interaction and I really enjoyed it. Thank you
0: so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you'll find at least one nugget that is beneficial to you. As always, thanks for listening to Strategy of Finance. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple or Google Podcasts. Your comments will make us better. And be sure to tune in next week for another engaging conversation. Until then, this is Rohit Agarwal, and remember to learn, grow, and inspire.